You're about to listen in on a conversation, an intimate conversation between two vegan or veganish homeschooling entrepreneurial mothers of four. My guest today is Kim Constable, and if you were looking for a word to describe Kim, it would probably have to be multidimensional. Kim is not your average working mom, and just take a peek at her Instagram, The Sculpted Vegan, and you'll see what I mean. Kim is a yoga teacher and a competitive vegan bodybuilder. So she went on to start her business in the health and fitness field, founding international multi-million dollar D-Yoga Talks and The Sculpted Vegan. Even though she considers herself a businesswoman and entrepreneur, she's first and foremost considers herself a mother because everything she does, she does for her family. She had decided to take her two eldest boys out of school and embark on a life of radical unschooling. And we're going to dive into all of that in today's episode. You're listening to The Parenting Junkie Show, the place to go to love parenting and to parent from love. I'm your host, Avital. There might be some adult language or adult content in this one, so it might be a good idea to pop on earbuds if little ears are around. Kim, welcome to The Parenting Junkie. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm loving the content that you're putting out. And I'm actually one of your, uh, well, I will be one of your shredders. I'm in your four-week shred. Oh, yay! Fantastic! (laughs) Yes. And when I have a little bit more bandwidth, I'm going to do it properly. But I've started going over the materials and it's, uh, I'm excited. I'm very excited. It's intense, but it's only four weeks and it promises big results. So it kind of has to be hard work. But we're mothers, right? We're used to it. We're used to hard work. (laughs) We are. And we're going to get into all those things today. So first of all, I know what your life must be like. I have some, you know, I have some image of it in my head and we're going to get into that. But just thank you so much for taking the time because I know how busy you must be. No, I'm delighted. This is actually a good time for me because it's evening and everyone's been fed and we're we're kind of in a, a bit of a chill out time now. So with our time difference, you know, a lot of these interviews I do end up being in the evening, which actually is perfect. I don't mind it at all. Yeah. Okay. That works. Brilliant. So um, one of the things that I'm curious about as a fellow, you know, homeschooling or home education mom of four um, and entrepreneur is your time management. Can you tell me, can you paint us a little bit of a picture behind, take us behind the scenes in your home to what typical days and typical weeks look like in terms of how you manage everybody's needs and your own, of course, and your marriage and all of that stuff. How does that work? Yeah. Do you know, it's, it's very different now to it used to be whenever I first started the business. You know, now my, my online business is so big now that I have a lot of help. But it's funny, but in the beginning, um, whenever I first started out by myself, like I, I did it all myself. You know, I did, I did everything. I did, you know, I, I had everything around the house. I did everything with the kids. And so it was, I, I had to become an absolute master at time management. Like I really did. I, I studied many books years ago and I, cause I, I realized it was like, if I want to fit all of these things into my life, I'm really going to have to be very, very vigilant with my time management. And so I thought, well, you know, I, so I studied some books some business books on time management and then applied the principles of that, you know, to my life about, you know, prioritizing things and being very, very good with lists and things. 
And so I, I developed um, a very, um, I developed years ago a very good system of, um, of, of, of prioritizing basically the things that needed to get done every day. And so I would, you know, keep a diary every night and I would jot down, you know, what was absolutely needed to get done every day and made sure that those got done the next day. It was usually only four or five things. And then I always had a list of things that were um, important, but not um, like, yeah, not, not life-threatening if they didn't get done. And those are things like your own goals, like your fitness and things like that, you know? So there's the things that, you know, there will be a consequence if you don't get them done, like, you know, pay your tax bill or, uh, you know, get, take your child to, you know, an exam, for example. Um, although that doesn't apply to me because I homeschool, but it's just something I know that other moms might relate to. But, um, and then I always made time for fitness or for yoga or, or those different things. So I, I became very good at prioritizing things over the years and I became very, very good at multitasking. So, you know, I would list while I was hanging up laundry, I would be listening to audiobooks or while I was ironing, I would be watching podcasts. Um, or not watching podcasts, watching webinars, you know, about growing the business. Or, you know, while I was driving, I was always listening to, you know, audiobooks. But I also became very good at scheduling. I actually have a picture in my and um, we send it out in an email actually for the four week thread uh, competition for the four week thread that you have joined. And it's a it's actually a snapshot of what my eye calendar used to look like years ago whenever I was, you know, doing everything myself. And I used to time chunk everything. I used to time chunk time with the kids. I used to time chunk time for the business. I time chunked laundry. Everything was scheduled. You know, yoga was scheduled, laundry was scheduled, time with the kids was scheduled. So I knew that, you know, between two and four every day or in these particular days, it was just child centric. You know, it was, that was the time when I was baking or I was, we were doing some kind of focused activity or, you know, whatever. And I, 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 I suppose that I got to know very quickly that children don't need your undivided attention all day. They just need small pockets of your focused attention where you're not, you know, diverted or, or, you know, with anything else. And I, and so, you know, one or two hours of really focused time with your children is kind of all, all they need and want in a day, as long as you're there to meet their needs in, in, in lots of other ways. So I became very, very, very good at time chunking and, and really, um, deciding first of all, what was important to me, what my values were, you know, my time with my husband, uh, we had date night every Thursday. My kids are a little older now. My youngest is seven. So it's a little easier, but we used to schedule in date night every Thursday. And, you know, we would have scheduled weekends for the family. And, but during the week became very, um, became very scheduled, if you like. And there's a, there, I hate, I hate saying such a scheduled word because I am a very flexible person, but we worked around a structure to make sure that I got everything done. And I used to get up at five and work on the business between five and seven, because it was the only time that I had free without the children uh, during the day. And so that, that was the time I always say my, my company was, was built between the hours of 5am and 7am because it was the only time I had child free. And then every other hour during the day literally was scheduled. Like, and so that is, you know, I, at now it's very different because like my company is so big. I have a full-time housekeeper. I have a full-time, you know, my niece works for me full-time helping with the kids. I have a full-time chef at home. I have, you know, so I have a network of people now to help me, but I had to work very hard to earn the money to, to, you know, pay for those things to replace myself in all of these different areas to give me more time to focus on my training, my bodybuilding, and also running the business. Because the, the, the most important things to me at the minute are my husband, my kids, um, my business, and my training. So I, I, to focus on those things, I had to bring in help in other areas. So I, I, but I hate saying that to people because some people are like, oh, well, it's okay for her because she has a chef and she has a housekeeper. But I really want to reiterate, it's only in the last, like, I've only had a chef since Christmas, since December, and now it's, you know, May. 
So that, that isn't something that I had all the time. It's, those are things that I've built over time in order to take the pressure off me. But before that it was all me and I was very scheduled and it was the only way I could get everything done. So it's kind of a hard one to answer for me at the minute without seeming unrelatable, which I really don't want to seem unrelatable, but it has been a lot of work to get here. Oh my gosh, Kim, I can certainly relate because I'm in a very similar position and I also built up my business to a place where now I have a team in my business and I have full-time help at home. And um, I also get those comments of like, well, you know, that's so privileged or it's unrelatable or, oh, I thought that you were telling us how to, you know, parent or whatever, but how could you be telling us when you have a whole team? It doesn't make any sense. But I think that's actually really important, especially for that reason, to go there and to, to decode and to demystify, well, it wasn't always that way. You hustled as a solopreneur for many years doing all the different things. Um, not that I'm like glorifying that necessarily that type of hustle. Maybe it's not for everyone, but um, I, I just love that you're owning your life choices and saying, well, this is how I got there and this is what it takes. And that's the other thing. I think when someone sees someone like you and they see a multi-million dollar online business and they see radical unschooling with four children and a marriage, and of course you look the way you do, Kim, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and all of that. And you're like, well, you know, how on earth does she do that? She must be a unicorn. I think it's so important to say, well, I have help in all of these different domains. Can you break that down? Can you just go a little bit further into that? Because I know how incredibly uh, honest and what integrity you have in your work. And to me, that's a huge part of it. Like you say, I don't build these muscles by eating chips on the couch. You know, you didn't build this life by doing that either, right? So talk to me about that. I will. I think... It's funny because I, you know, it it almost starts back to, you know, whenever my husband and I got married, you know, we both had very traditional lifestyles growing up. I had a mother who didn't work. My dad earned the money. My mom was at home with us and his, his family were exactly the same. So our, our family values are very, very similar. But I always wanted more. I, I always wanted, you know, I, I loved being at home with my kids. And that's whenever we got married, we agreed I would stay home with the kids. And I would, and I was, I loved and I baked and I cooked and I took them to all their activities. And we, you know, we, um, I loved being a stay at home mom. And I was, I only started working, you know, r- trying to run the business, um, you know, really running the business about 18 months ago. Up until then, you know, like I was a full time stay at home mom. And I, but my husband and I always had this very traditional relationship. And so then whenever I decided I wanted to start out online, which actually I started about seven years ago, but I wasn't working full time. I just started to learn online businesses and I was trying to make money and it really was not working. I was feeling, feeling miserably. But I, you know, I, I, I kept trying to get my husband to do more. <laughs> but he was like, let's not rock the boat. I earn the money and you do everything else. <laughs> and that's honestly the way it was. And he will admit himself, you know, it was like, I earn the money. And so therefore that gives me the freedom and the privilege to do nothing else. So like he did, t- you know, he used to bath the kids and he would have been there on weekends and help. But, you know, I was the one who, you know, who breastfed, you know, till they were whatever age three, you know, like through the night. And I was the one who prepared all the dinners and I was the one who fed them and who winged them and who you know, and I, I did everything. And so I would say, you know, can you please help me? Can you please help me? And it was always, I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Ryan because we have an amazing marriage, but it was always given a little begrudgingly, which I understand because he was like, well, this is not my job. This is not what we've agreed. I am their father and I will always be their father and I'm there for them. But he was never the kind of dad to say, you know, oh, sweetie, you go and, you know, and, and, and work for a few hours and I'll cook dinner and look after the kids. That just did not happen. So I, I realized very quickly that to expect Ryan to be different than he was, was never going to work. 
because it just was unrealistic. He was, he was South African born, moved to Australia, very traditional parents. He was not the kind of dad who was going to say, sweetheart, I'll look after the kids and cook the dinner and you go and try and make money online for the last seven years. You know, <laughs> he was like, are you ever going to create a business that's going to make money? So he, um, so, so the reason why I'm saying that is because that realization early on was actually very freeing for me. And a lot of people would say, well, can Ryan not do that? Or why, why, why do you have to do all this? Can Ryan not take them? Can Ryan not do this? Can Ryan not cook dinner? You know, my, my other very liberal friends who just didn't understand that I had a husband who was very traditional. I would say, well, that's not the marriage that we have. And this is not who he is. And I'm not going to blame him for that. I'm just going to accept it. So I accepted very early on that Ryan was never going to be a house husband of any kind. And that if I wanted to have more freedom from the jobs that were my responsibility, then I would have to recreate myself in those roles. And, and, and I also understood the value behind it. Like he was working very hard building his company and he was paying all the bills. So why should I expect him to do my job as well? I certainly hadn't proved I could make any money because every business I ever started cost him money. It never actually made any money. So, um, so I, I thought to myself, I really need to try and recreate myself in these areas. So any, so I, I, how I really got to where I am was, you know, I, I remember saying to Ryan, whenever the business, I, I started to make a little bit of money, but not enough that it was, I was contributing to the house, but I was certainly wasn't, you know, paying bills. And I said to him, do you think we could afford a housekeeper, like even part-time? And he said, definitely not. And I was like, please. And he was like, no, we can't, Kim. Like he's very stupid with money. He was like, we can't afford a housekeeper. He was like, but we can't afford a cleaner. So the first thing we did was we got a cleaner and that was like three hours a week. And then that went up to six hours a week. And then it went up to eight hours a week, you know, two, four hour slots. And we have a big house. So it was, that was really helpful. And he did pay for that. But then I, I, so as soon as the business started to make some money, I began to think, where can I free up my time? And the, the biggest bulk of my time was spent and the biggest, the biggest bulk of my stress, Avital, was the constant mess and <laughs> that four homeschooled children create. And I embraced the mess because it's all learning, but I was exhausted from my training and my cardio and my trying to run the business and getting up at 5am and trying to be, you know, a great wife and a great mother. And I was just so a housekeeper. So as soon as I could afford to, I hired a housekeeper and just part-time. And she came in and she then began to look after the house. And that gave me, I hired her for, I think she worked 20, 20 hours a week. And that, so that gave me 20 hours a week extra time. It meant that I could leave the kids for a portion of time with her. I could, you know, she did the laundry and she made them lunch and she, that gave me the full morning where most kids are maybe out at school, you know, mine weren't, I didn't have that. So that's, that was my first investment. And that was where I first, and then I began to use that time very, very wisely. And I think that that's what comes, I always say that, you know, being time starved is one of the best assets you can have when you're growing a business because it forces you to give up responsibility and to just, you know, like I, I bring on a team member and I'm like, I'm like, I'll nurture you and love you. And I'm like, fly, <laughs> you know, go. And if you, you know, and if your wings break, come back to me. But otherwise, go, you know, just do it. And I'm certainly not a micromanager because I just don't have the time to, to micromanage. Yeah. So that I think is, is the, and I, so when I see other moms starting a business and they come to me and they say, you know, I'm a stay at home mom and I want to start this business. What do I do? I say, as soon as you can afford to get childcare. And they're like, really? I'm like, but I thought I needed a PA. I'm like, you don't need a PA. You need someone to come into your house and take care of your children for two hours a day. And for those two hours, you focus solely on your business. You don't do laundry. You don't go see your friends for coffee. You don't get your hair done. 
those are your two hours that you have and you only focus on the things that are going to grow your business. So you have to look for where you can free up your time in, in areas that are, you know, like if I spend 10 hours a week doing laundry, but if, you know, if I spend 10 hours a week in my business, I can earn X amount of money. If I spend 10 hours doing laundry, I'm not earning any money. So I always looked at, well, how much is my time worth? And if I can afford to pay someone $10 an hour to come in and do my laundry and, you know, clean the house, and then I can make $100 an hour, well, then that's money well spent. So that's the way I always looked at it. And that's how I, that's how I basically grew the business. And I just kept replacing myself and replacing myself and replacing myself. And then the last area that I was really struggling with was, was, you know, keeping everyone fed healthily every day because Lorraine, my housekeeper is amazing, but she's just, she's busy. She's making them bagels for lunch. And I was like, I just want them to have a, a nutritious cooked lunch. Like I used to do it for them. And that was why recently then I invested in a chef. He's actually my brother-in-law. So he's family anyway. Um, so he then came in and he cooks for everybody all day. So now I'm like, ah, everybody's well fed and well taken care of. And it just takes so much emotional and mental pressure off me. And I don't have any, you know, my husband said the other day, somebody asked him, I think it, it, some, some friend of his, he was chatting to and he was like, Oh, I've just got an angry text from my wife because I didn't do this. And I didn't, you know, put the laundry on and I didn't whatever. And he goes, do you ever get this with Kim? And he was like, no, we have very few friction points these days because everything else is taken care of. And that is true. You know, it really does make for a, a really good relationship whenever you can just take responsibility for what, your responsibility. I never asked Ryan to take, to take on my rules. I just made the money and I employed people to take on my rules. So it never, it never created any friction points in our relationship, if that makes sense, because I didn't confuse the rules. I just earned the money to replace myself. So I'm not sure if that helps yes, at all, but it, it is a, a strategy I, I used. I think hearing from other people's experiences and, you know, people take what, what works for them. But I just want to say, you, you mentioned something just, just to kind of anchor that point. You said, if I can hire someone for $10 an hour to do laundry and cleaning, and then I can make $100 an hour. And But even if you can only make $10 in the hour, even if at the beginning you can just cover that cost, right. at least you're putting that time into something that then grows your passion project or your business or whatever that eventually can grow. If you keep putting that time into the laundry, you're never going to grow those. Exactly. Pieces, right? Exactly. So it's an investment in the future. It's just an offset, right? I think it's so critical. I know a lot of people have a lot of limiting beliefs around, I can't afford the help and I can't, and, and sometimes it's true. You just can't afford it. Um, but there are ways that you can build up towards that. And there are also often, you know, free resources of help and people around you who are willing to help. And there's a lot of- My mom in the beginning, like she, I could never have done my first prep when I, my first bodybuilding show I did, you know, we didn't have any help in the house and I was in the gym four hours a day. And I, I used to say to my husband, um, I'm way to the gym and he used to go see you tomorrow, you know, and it was my mom, like I was constantly dropping the children off at their house. And then I was getting the guilt that came with that. And she's like, you know, you're never there for the children. It was like an implied. And I was like, oh, I feel bad enough already, you know, but I, but I, I had a vision in my mind. And I say this to people all the time as well. You know, it was so hard and you've probably had the same thing. Like I, I had to stay really true to my vision. See all of those years where I was trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. I would never have been as successful as I am today if I hadn't have spent six years trying and failing to make it online because I learned everything. I watched every free webinar. I watched every, you know, listened to every podcast. I, you know, I, I dug deep into so many courses and programs 
And that gave me the experience that I have now. And so, but what was really important at the time was when I was growing my Instagram and I was prepping for bodybuilding shows, I wasn't bodybuilding because I wanted to stand on stage in a sparkly thong at age 40. You know, it was because I could see that if I could just get over that hill and get into the elite athletes, it would set me apart from the crowd and I could create something big. And I, so I always had that vision in my mind of where I wanted to go. And so every failure I had and every time I, I didn't make it or whatever, I was always thinking in the back of my mind, I know where I'm going with this. I know where I'm, and you know, obviously I was getting the guilt from my family. Like, you know, and they just wanted the best for my kids and for, they couldn't, you know, all they could see was me putting in all of this effort and never getting anywhere. But in my mind, I was like, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. And I was posting half naked pictures on Instagram and people were like, why are you posting half naked pictures on Instagram? You're a 40 year old mother of four. And I was like, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. And I was like tunnel vision with it, you know? And I just kept that vision in my mind of what I wanted to achieve. And um, they're all eating humble pie now, I can tell you. <laughs> well, they're not really. It's some teasing. They're all really, really obviously delighted for my success. But I, I didn't let myself be swayed by other people's fears or opinions. I was determined to get where I wanted to go. And I had the vision in my mind and I wasn't going to stop until I got there. And you need a single-minded vision of what it is that you want that's very tangible to keep you going through the hard times because there will be a lot of hard times. A lot of hard times. A hundred percent. And whether you're an entrepreneur or not, I think this is true. We all have a vision for what we want our lives to look like. Um, or, or if you don't, definitely take a moment to create one. <laughs> because yeah. you'll only reach, you know, that kind of picture, that picture of what success means to you. And it's so individual and unique. But what success means to you can only be attained through that relentless tunnel vision and taking one step after another. And I want to just highlight another thing that you said there, Kim, which is, it's easy to say, you know, 2020 hindsight, it's easy to say, well, I was posting half naked pictures of myself on Instagram and a thong at 40 and, and everyone, you know, that comes with a lot, right? A lot of complex feelings and shame and unsure, uncertainty and, and, and criticism, vulnerability to the, to the nines, right? Um, but anything that we do doesn't, you can't see the success happen from the beginning. You have to go and take that leap and do that uncomfortable thing and take those risks before you can see it. And I'll say this, if you're thinking of homeschooling or if you're mm -hmm. thinking of, you know, even if you're just thinking of navigating towards peaceful parenting and you live in an area where everybody is mainstream parenting, that takes a ton for everybody to watch you empathize with your child when they throw a tantrum instead of spanking them. And that's a risk that you're, you're vulnerably putting yourself out there. And I, you know, I can relate to that on so many levels, but when I was just starting my business, I had a, you know, a corporate gig. I was working from home. It was, it was a good job. It was a cushy job for a stay at home mom, work at home mom, whatever. And, but I knew that I wanted to make parenting my business and I wanted to make an impact there. And I had this vision and my sweet husband, he's so supportive. He believes in me so much, but he just couldn't see it. And he was just like, I mean, I think you're amazing, Avital, and I love your videos, but I don't think anyone's ever going to pay for, you know, parenting courses. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Ryan said to me too. He was like, there's no, I mean, you're targeting a 40-year-old vegan who's never really trained, who wants to look like a bodybuilder, you know, who's going to pay $1,000 for a course. Like, I just don't see it, sweetheart. Like, I don't want to say I don't believe in you, but I just don't see it, you know? And now I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> not really I'm teasing I'm being facetious but it's yeah but I was like I know you don't see it but that's because you're not a 40 year old vegan woman who wants to look like a bodybuilder that's why you don't see it you know 
guess what? You're not my target audience. So yeah, you're, okay. you're so not. A hundred percent. Yes. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about your parenting, Kim, because I've heard a little bit about this. I've heard your TED talk and I was so lit up because I actually started following you because I'm vegan-ish. I call myself vegan-ish because I... Oh, you're the vegan police will get you. Exactly. I don't want the vegan police to get me. The minimalist <laughs> police is already on my case. Um, so now the vegan police will get me. But yeah, I, I strive towards plant-based in most things. And I also strive towards ethical veganism, but I'm totally not hardcore um, in that arena. But I saw your your work in that field of fitness and the, the target age group, which is, you know, and, and, and not necessarily moms, but women who aren't, you know, 18. Yes. Um, and I thought that's amazing. But then I heard that you had four kids and I was like, oh my goodness, now I must learn more from this woman. And then I heard that you unschooled them and I was like, that's it. We're besties. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, we're putting pod. <laughs> So I want to hear about, I know that you started the Rainbow Garden and you transitioned into unschooling. I want to hear, first of all, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I get the impression you're in a culture where there aren't a lot of unschoolers. It's not like you're radically progressive. You know, you're not in, I don't know, California, say, right? So you're clearly going out on a limb on lots of, in lots of different ways in your life. But in parenting, that is just such a big one. It's so you know challenging. I want to hear about unschooling. I want to hear if you guys do have any boundaries, do have any educational expectations. How, what do your children's lives look like and why? So I know that's like you could write four books on the question I just asked, but just, just give me a little bit. What, what would you say? Yeah, no, I can't. It's funny because I was always very... Um, I. I studied, what, years ago, I studied the developing brain, a lot of children. And I, because I got, I've always been really interested in languages. And so I always wanted our kids to have languages. And so I, just, I, I began to study, you know, whenever I had kids, I, I'm the kind of person who, when I, when I take something on, I want to know every single thing about it. And I become very, I go down the rabbit hole. I become very passionate and very involved in it. So when I had a child, it actually, do you know when it all started for me? When I had Corey, um, I, I, I didn't know I was, and Ryan and I had only met like two weeks and I got pregnant. So like we, we celebrated our first anniversary with a mortgage and an, and a, an eight week old baby. Wow. So it was meant to be obviously. So I had this, I was only 26. I had this baby and you know, I, and I was, um, but I was breastfeeding and I was always very into natural, you know, parenting and stuff. But I, I, I was very traditionally parented myself. And there was, so whenever it, uh, I remember sitting in the gym one day and um, I had Corey with me and he was just a young baby and it was kind of around vaccination time. I remember picking up, they had like this bookshare and I remember picking up this book by um, Jan de Vries. Do you have Jan de Vries in America? By Jan de Vries. No, and he's like a, um, like a, a health and spiritual coach guru. And it was, there was a whole section in it about parenting and there was a section in it about vaccinations. And Corey had just had his first round of vaccinations. And because that's what everyone did, you know, your baby turned eight weeks, you took them to the doctor, they got vaccinated. And so I remember reading this thing, about, uh, this section about vaccinations and it talked about how vaccinations were grown and what was actually in them and about how, you know, the links between, you know, chronic ear infections, eye infections, you know, lung infections, all of these asthma, allergies, uh, all of these things coming up and how all of these things, you know, were potentially linked to vaccinations. And I was like, I was blown away. I, I was like, I didn't even know this existed. Like what, you know, I just assumed these were safe. Like the government tells us to do this. I assumed it was safe. Boom, my eyes were open. So of course that's what led me down the rabbit hole. In, my, none of my children ever had a vaccination ever again. Um, and so that's what led me down the rabbit hole into, you know, into the whole sphere of parenting and understanding more about, you know, 
children and the choices we can make. And so it got me, that led me into, you know, research into health and wellness and the developing brain. And I then began to realize through a lot of work that I was doing with, the, you know, and children in the developing brain, how our young experiences shape the rest of our life. So how whenever we're children, we're basically blank canvases and we have these experiences that, and sometimes these negative experiences trigger our fight or flight mechanism. So, you know, my parent like yells at me and I'm, <gasps> and my fight or flight goes off and suddenly I, and I, as soon as your fight or flight goes off, you stop taking in data. So your parent may be saying, you blah, 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 and the words are coming out. You're not hearing the words. Your, your, your body has shut down all of your communication mechanisms. It's literally in survival mode and you're now linking the tone of their voice, the color of their hair, the music playing, the smell of the spaghetti bolognese, you're making all of these links to this feeling you have in your body. So then whenever you grow up, you uh, somebody comes in one day or you walk into someone's house and you smell spaghetti bolognese, you're like, God, I hate spaghetti bolognese. And they're like, how can you hate spaghetti bolognese? You're like, I don't know. I just hate it. I've always hated it. I've never liked it. You don't even know that you perhaps built a Pavlovian link when you were four between getting spanked by your mother and the smell of spaghetti bolognese. It's weird. So whenever I started to understand this, I was like, Oh my God. So literally anger creates Pavlovian links in children, which then creates fearful, creates barriers. They, and I, in my TED talk, I use the, I use the example of, you know, an elephant, um, whenever, uh, whenever uh, they're training elephants, what they do is they, um, they tie, you know, wire around their legs. So the elephant pulls and pulls and pulls and pulls and it cuts into their legs and it, and it hurts them and they bleed. So very quickly they learn that whenever, you know, it's around their leg that they can't go anywhere and it causes pain. So very soon they can take that off. They can literally just put a little rope around the elephant and put it into a little peg in the ground. And the elephant, when that rope is on, never ever tries to go anywhere because it's built a Pavlovian link between the rope around its leg and the pain. Children are the same. As we grow up into adults, we build these imaginary walls around ourselves that are based on fear. Like, oh, I could never try that. Oh, I could never do that. Oh, I could never go there. No, no. That just, you know, we have all of these imaginary walls that are built up. So I was like, whenever I began to realize this, I began to look at my own, you know, postulates and primitives that I had built through my experiences as a child. I, I realized if I used anger to control my children, I was, I was risking causing a lot of damage to them as they grew up. And I, and I didn't want to create fear-based adults. So that is where the whole thing, so, so I'm get, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. So, <laughs> this was great. So then, so having this knowledge of, I will never yell at my children. I will try never to yell at my children. I will never spank my children. I will never use anger to control them. It's very difficult to get children to do what you want them to do if they don't want to do it, if you're not using anger to control them. So we eventually sent our children, we decided we would send them to school when they were very young. We sent them to the Rudolf Steiner School. And the two young boys did not want to go to, the, to school in the morning and getting them out the door and into their you know, coats and out the door for eight o'clock in the morning was, was hard. And so, but because I couldn't say, put your goddamn shoes on and go to school, because I knew too much, I resorted to all kinds of, bribing and cajoling. And, and I, I literally, and by the time I got them out of the door in the morning, I was exhausted. I was exhausted from the effort of trying to move them without being, without punishing them or yelling at them. And I was like, you know, there must be another way. And sometimes I just was like, I want to take the blue pill. I wish I had taken the blue pill. And I didn't, I don't know what I know. And I could just yell at them and just tell, you know, and just like, and, and spank them and get them to do what I want them to do. But I wouldn't allow myself to do it. And then one day what happened was I was, I was lying on the couch in the kitchen one night and a friend of mine messaged me and she was asking my advice and she said, you know, you're like my, you and Dana Martin are like my parenting gurus. And I was like, 
who's Dana Martin? And she said, you've never heard of Dana Martin? And I said, no. And she said, oh my God, you have to watch her on Wife Swap. So she sent me the link to this episode of Dana on Wife Swap. And I thought, oh, I'll watch, I hate that show. I thought I'll watch five minutes of it and then I'll go to bed. It was quite late at night. And I watched, I watched the entire episode. Dana is like, I don't know whether you know Dana or you know, she's like one of my best friends now. So um, she actually, I watched the whole episode with her and she is obviously one of the pioneers of radical, not pioneers, but one of the, um, the, the advocates or the, at the forefront of the, the unschooling movement. And I watched that episode and it made so much sense to me. I was like, you know, I remember her saying, you know, if my kids want to bounce on the trampoline at 2 a.m., like they totally can. I remember going, but that sounds like so radical, but like, I really would love that for my kids. And so, and I, and I watched the whole episode and I knew then I made the decision in my mind. I was like, I am going to do this. I'm going to take my kids out of school. And I'm going to do it. And because I was so resolved, I didn't tell anyone, you know, whenever something is so, you're so resolved about something and you know that you, it's not like you go around going, I'm not doing this thing. You're like, I have to make this happen. So I have to be very calculated about it. So I, um, I went to my husband and I started dropping little bits of data because I knew he would go, you're nuts. We're not doing this. So I started dropping little bits of, you know, Dana Martin, oh, this girl, she does this. And have you heard about this? And started bringing up on schooling with him to kind of you know, warm him to the idea. And he said, it sounds like chaos to me, uh, was what was his reply. So um, I proposed, anyway, long story short, I proposed a, uh, about a couple of months later that we, we tried taking the kids out of school. And if it didn't work for three months, you know, then we would reevaluate. And he, you know, he, and so he agreed. And so we did. And we, so we took them out of, out of school and we embarked on a life of radical unschooling and we removed all rules from them. And it went absolutely nuts for a few months. Uh, why they, you know, they totally were like freedom. And, and it was, and I, and I found it really hard to navigate as well, because, you know, it was, you know, whenever you have rules, you know how to move within the rules. And then if you remove the rules, I was like, I don't, I don't know how to parent. I don't know how to be. I don't know, I don't know what to, to do. Like, what are the rules of unschooling, <laughs> you know? So it took us a while to find our feet. And that is how I, I got into the whole unschooling thing. But what, but what I always say to people, they, they say, do you not have any rules? And I'm like, no, we don't have hard, fast rules. But I like to describe it like we live with our kids like, like you would live with someone in college. So say you and I moved in, say you and I were in college and we moved in together. We were like, do you want, you know, we'd be roommates. And we're like, yeah, okay, well, let's share a house. And so you would, you know, if you would have to find a way to live together that worked for both of you. So I, you know, I would say, Avital, you know, when you, when you leave your, you know, your, your toothpaste, you know, smeared all over the sink, you know, it, it, I would prefer that you didn't do that. Is there a way we can figure that out that that doesn't happen? And you'd be like, oh, sorry, I didn't even realize that bothered you. In my house, we just like smeared the toothpaste, and, you know, so, but I wouldn't be like, you're bad, you're wrong. I would try and, you know, I would express that I didn't like something and see, could we figure out a way that we could make it work for both of us? Or like, I'd really prefer that you didn't come in at 2 a.m. and, and clatter around in the kitchen because my bedroom is just above and my sleep is important how can we figure this out? That's how we live with our kids. So do we have rules? No, but we do have, like, I will say, guys, daddy and I are going to bed now. It's 11 o'clock. Please, can you, if you go to the kitchen, can you be quiet? Because, you know, I, it, the kitchen's right below our bedroom. And, can, you know, so we do have, um, you know, we do have guidelines is what we call them, but there's no hard and fast rules. You know, it's not like you must eat. If they're not hungry at dinner time, they don't have to eat their dinner. You know, I'll say, well, guys, you know, really, I would prefer it if you would eat it because Gareth has cooked it and I don't want to have to cook again tonight. I have this, this meeting with Avital, but if you don't want to eat, it's fine, but you'll have to make yourself something. And they'll say, okay, we'll make ourselves something afterwards. And they will. So it's, 
I don't, I don't run around. I'm not like running around pandering to them, you know, going, oh yes, darling, no problem, darling, whatever you want, darling. It, in fact, if anything, my kids get treated more like adults than the average child does because they learn cause and effect consequences very quickly because I treat them like I would treat you if we room together or like my husband. And so they learn very quickly how to navigate and negotiate because they're not operating under a set of rules. They're, they're thinking, if I have a bath at midnight and I'm, I play my iPad really loudly, is that going to wake mommy and daddy? Yes, it probably is. So I'll either choose not to have a bath or I'll have one quietly and wear headphones. You know, they, they, they become much more mindful of the people around them and their environment. And that is feedback that we get from people constantly. They say, your kids are unbelievable. Like they, they're so logical and they're so mindful and they're so affectionate and they don't have any, you know, world, what we call world audience issues. Like they don't, they don't care what people think of them. You know, they're, they don't, they're, they, they act more like adults, if that makes sense, but they're still very playful and very childlike. I, I don't know if I answered your question or not. I kind of just went off on a rant, but we, so that is, that is what our house looks like. They, they get up when they want they go to bed when they want. They go to bed after us now. Now, whenever they were younger, you know, Maya and Jack were babies and I did take them to bed and lie with them till they fell asleep because that's what we always did. And, you know, and I loved bedtime when they were younger. Like I was never, yes, I up till 2am, you know, when you're three. I was like, oh, no, I'm not. You know, so some people think, well, what if your child wants to stay up till 2am? I don't care. I'm, I, I'm not staying up till 2am. They're going to bed when I go to bed because my sleep's important to me. So, you know, you're not, it's not like this it's, you know, you're, you're not a slave to your children. You're not like, oh yes, darling, I'll stay up with you till three o'clock in the morning because you want to stay up till three o'clock in the morning. Like it's not like, I wouldn't do that for anybody, you know, so I'm not going to do it for my kids. So, um, it is very much, uh, my needs are important. Their needs are important. They live completely in freedom. Now that they're older, they take care of each other because there's four of them. Jack, my seven-year-old goes to bed after me every night. He, and he comes in, he came in last night. He was out with a friend and Ryan and I were exhausted. He didn't get back till about quarter past 11. I said to Maya, I said, when Jack comes in, can you just please ask him to, um, you know, brush his teeth, put his jammies on. Will you close the front door behind him when he comes in? And, um, and she was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So he came in at seven years of age, came upstairs, chatted with his brothers and sisters, made himself cereal, brushed his teeth, put his pajamas on and got into bed with his iPad with his big brother. Seven years of age. He had no issues doing that. And so that's the kind of independence you teach your children whenever you give them the freedom to to, you know, and, I'm, and don't get me wrong, my oldest is 13 and he was already down, he was still downstairs. So I'm not like, you know, I'm not like leaving my seven-year-old running around the house by himself. You know, we, we, um, they take care of each other, but I, I suppose that you do give them a lot more independence whenever you allow them to have independence. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends who are radical unschoolers and I fall somewhere short of radical unschooling on the spectrum because I still have some rules. And, you know, it's always a negotiation for myself, uh, within myself, you know, and one of the things I'm just curious on your take on this, like, I know it's so much about temperament and so much about age and stage and, and these things change radically. And we're mm -hmm. in the middle of a big change, I think, in my approach to screens. I'd love to hear, cause it sounds like there's, you know, free access to iPads and stuff. And a lot of my friends have that with great success, like kids totally self-regulating. Um, but my son, it's like a drug for him. You know, mm -hmm. if I give one of my children, if he had, uh, you know, endless access, not a big deal. It's like, he'll take it, he'll leave it, you know, not a big deal. My other son, he really does react to it as if it's a drug. And I know it does have addictive pro properties. So how, what, 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 what's your approach? And has that been different? Has that morphed over the years? And I guess the same goes for sugary foods or that kind of thing. 
Yeah. Well, we have, no, we have complete screen time freedom and complete food freedom. So I think that, um, I think that we assume that there is, even to say that they self, self-regulate assumes that they will regulate to a level that we find acceptable <laughs> rather than a level that they find acceptable. So I, I, my, we took away all, um, rules around, uh, you know, sc- what people call screen time, which I actually, I don't even like that term. I think it, I think it's a very derogatory term, but we took away all rules around that. And my husband was very fearful of doing that because our eldest son, Corey was, was the same gamer to the core was, you know, obsessed. But I, again, I hate that word. Like, you know, people would say I'm obsessed with the gym. Well, I am obsessed with, gym. I'm a, but I'm not, you know, obsessed has such a negative connotation, but we love to put that onto kids and say, Oh my God, he's totally obsessed. I'm like, well, I'm obsessed with the things that I'm very, very passionate about. And people say, well, you know, but my son gets really angry when I take his iPad away. And I say, well, if you took away something that I loved, I would get very angry too. Like, why do we have this different standard for our children than we have for ourselves? It's so ridiculous. You know, we expect them to be better or more pure or something. So with regard to screen time, what I would say is because I have four kids, I, I have seen this on a different spectrum. My eldest son, Corey, um, from the day and hour we took away any limitations on screen time, and when he was seven, he's now 13, Corey spends an average of 14 to 16 hours a day on a screen mm-hmm. since he was seven and he's now 13. That has never, ever changed. Mm-hmm. And we kept expecting that at some point he would self-regulate because we were like, well, at some point he's going to get, he's going to get, you know, sick of it. Or it's only because we restricted him for so long and now he's, he needs to get out of a system. No, we have come to accept that Corey is probably going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> Corey is the most, Corey plays in tournaments and wins money all over the world. Now Corey teaches himself programming and coding. He has three screens set up around him in, on, in his gaming area. He has an iPad going here, a phone going here. Oh God, I'm sorry. I'm knocking the microphone. I'm like gesticulating. A Nintendo Switch here. Like he has more technology than, than, than a, a, Silicon, a Silicon Valley company. And that has never, ever changed. And we have come to accept the fact that Corey is a gamer, was always a gamer, is madly passionate about computers and gaming. And, you know, and, and we just come to accept that that's who he is. The other children, take it or leave it. They enjoy watching YouTube. They all have phones. They, you know, they all have Xboxes. We have four Xboxes in the house. They each have one in their rooms. We were always like, no, you will never have a TV in your room because, you know, bedrooms are for sleeping. Uh, Now every child has a TV in the room, except Corey, interestingly, because I offered him, I was like, do you want me to get you a TV for your room? He was like, no, I'd never watch it. I don't want a TV in my room. So um, they all have TVs in the room. They all have Xboxes. They all have iPads. They all have iPhones. They, um, you know, they, they all have computers, Apple Mac computers. And Corey is the only one who's truly interested in it. The rest of them, take it or leave it. So I have come to realize that there are children whose true calling in life is something to do with technology. Just like mine is muscles and mine is the health and fitness and wellness. And I go to bed at night with like books on the liver and the pancreas and the digestive system. And my whole desk is covered with like high intensity training books and rewind your body clock books. And like, this is, this is me. This is who I am. I am consumed by, by this knowledge, by getting more of this knowledge. Corey's the same when it comes to gaming. The other ones, not so much. They love basketball and gymnastics and trampolining and piano and they're just, they're just individuals. And so I think the hardest part about unschooling is 
is truly coming to accept your child for who they are and not who you want them to be. And that is one of the hardest things. And Dana Martin always says, like, if your child was sitting reading a book for 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day, you would think you were the best parent in the world. You'd be telling all your friends, yeah, he just like, he just consumes books. He's always in the library. We can't get enough books. Like you'd be like so proud of him because books are okay, but computers apparently are not. We have this, some kind of societal rules. So as far as computers being like a drug, I don't believe they are. I, I, I truly don't believe they are. I don't believe that they're addictive. I believe that all of the studies that have been done on children to do with screen time and addiction and causing violence, they're not done on radically unschooled children. So it's not a, it's not a test group that you can, you, you know, for example, recently I went to Corey and I said to him, Ryan said to me, I'm concerned that Corey's not getting enough exercise because he only plays, he plays tennis on a Monday and he does go out in the trampoline with the kids and stuff. And I said, yeah, no, I have been getting that too. So I said, I'll speak to him. So I went to him and I said, you know, sweetie, can I talk to you about something? And he said, sure, what is it? I said, I'm, I'm, daddy and I are a little concerned that you're not getting enough exercise because exercise is very important to us. It's important for your development. You do sit a lot all day. And he said, yeah, I never thought, that, thought of that actually. He said, what do you think I should do? And I said, well, I don't know, like, is there some kind of exercise or something you would commit to doing, you know, every day as a persistency, just so, you know, you can be healthy. And he said, yeah, what about if I, you know, if I, if I walk the dog every day, if I go for like an hour and I said, well, an hour is maybe too much, maybe like 30 minutes or something. Like it doesn't even have to be a full hour because you want something you're going to commit to. That was nine weeks ago. And every single day for the last nine weeks, he has walked. He sets a reminder on his phone and the reminder goes off and every single day without fail, he gets up and he goes for a walk to the park and he takes the dog. And I didn't have to force him. I didn't have to yell at him. I didn't make him bad for his choices. I just, you know, suggested to him that, you know, that this perhaps would be a good thing. And because he trusts me and he knows I'm not trying to control him, which is one of the biggest things that people don't realize, your children, when they think you're trying to control them into eating something or being a certain way, will always resist you. When they know you're not trying to control them, they will never resist you. They will actually listen and tr- listen to and trust what you say because they know it's coming from a place of love and it's not coming from a place of control. And that's the shift that you make into radical unschooling or into becoming into, out of an authoritarian paradigm and into a partnership paradigm. And that's the difference. Even my seven-year-old, or, you know, if I, if I speak to him and I say, sweetie, you know, I, we're not going to do this, or I don't think this is a good idea. Would this be okay? You know, I, and I always present it to them in a, would this be okay? And, you know, can we, can we discuss this? And, and they, I can, they will always listen to me if I, if I say something isn't a good idea or is a good idea. Um, not always, sometimes they don't, which is fine. And I have to accept the fact and I do own it. And I say to them, you know, I'm finding it really hard to come to terms with this. And I'm actually feeling quite cross about it. And I'm, but it's nothing to do with you. And it's just, you know, it's my issue. And they're like, okay, you know, that's fine. I'm really sorry. And they was, but I'm really sorry that I won't do what you want. And I'm like, no, it's totally okay. Like I am feeling like I have, you know, I'm, I'm definitely upset about it, but I'll get over it because I'm a big girl, you know? And I, I own the fact that I want to control them, but I don't, you know? So then they own their own emotions as well. So with regard to screen time, we don't have any, but you have to really get okay with just truly accepting that your child has his or her own journey in life and to try and control and, and shape that into something you want it to be, I don't believe is, is a good thing. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I think it's really interesting how you said that was from when age seven, I think one of the big struggles, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm still on the fence around the research, especially in the early years, brain development wise, a sedentary lifestyle and screen uh, usage and also the content that's on there. I think not one screen is the same as another, right? There's a difference in quality and all that stuff. Um, although I, I 
I've, I've read a lot of the Peter Gray research and how, you know, you don't, you, you don't know what your child is interested in or learning or gaining from that experience. Um, but, um, I think it's so interesting because all of the radical unschooling families that I know, and many of my close friends are radical unschoolers. Um, they, they have a similar kind of experience to what you're describing, where it's really just reverence to and honoring the child's own journey and own individual path. And I think that's so challenging to let go of the controlling factor. That's the big challenge there. And I'm curious, do you have, I mean, I remember in your TED talk, you spoke about that screaming at your child at that one point in the car, and that was kind of a low point for you. Do you yeah. have any low points uh, since then? I mean, because, uh, and I asked this, because I know people listening ask me this and I tend to do the same projection. When you see a parent who is parenting from the heart and Mm -hmm. in a radical and different and progressive way and in an attuned way and really choosing peacefulness and respect, et cetera, it's easy to project that that's, um, that they're always, always winning at that and that it's working and that they don't scream or yell or shame or punish or spank when they lose their control. So, you know, can you, can you share if, if that does happen, has happened? Yeah. Oh, it happens all the time. I mean, I am certainly not perfect, but what I have learned is really, really good state control and really good, you know, I, there's a quote that I, I talked about in my TED Talk actually, which I love. And it says, you know, freedom lies in the capacity to pause between stimulus and response. And I, so I have learned that I have learned to pause, um, but it, it's not always easy. And I, you know, I, but I, two things that happen, it's my daughter triggers me so badly, you know, and even still she's getting better as she gets older. But, you know, I, as a child was, you know, my parents spanked and yelled and punished. And so I definitely, had I not been a little more, um, a little more, had I not done the research that I did, I would have been a spanker. I'll tell you that now. I would have been, and I, whenever I was younger, I would have said, I looked at, you know, kids who would have been running around the house and their parents are trying to feed them. And I would have said, mm-hmm, that will never happen in my house. My children will sit at the table. They will eat their dinner. They would, you know, I would have been the most controlling parent in the world had I not got more data. And so I, I still, my, my daughter triggers me really badly. Um, but I think the first step is owning the fact that you've been triggered and it's not them, it's you. That's the first step. So I'm like, oh my God. And I go to my husband sometimes, I actually just want to kill her. I just want to kill her. I just want to kill her. And he's like, calm down, big deep breath, big deep breath. Or what I do with her sometimes is, or, you know, if she's really like having a very strong emotion and it's triggering me really badly. I'll go like, Maya, 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 I can't, I, I can't do this right now. I can't actually have you in the room with me. Because I, like it's, I'm like, it's triggering me so badly. Can you please, I need you to leave so I can calm down and I can have space. You know, and she's like, but I can't. And I'm like, Maya, I seriously, like you really have. And sometimes I just remove myself and she's like following me. But mommy, and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I, you know, and I it sometimes, no, not often, but it, it has been so bad that I've literally sat on the bed like this with my hands over my ears. Because I know that if I don't, I'm going to grab her and I'm going to kill her. <laughs> you know, it's like, I still have those urges. I, I was chatting with a friend of mine the other day, who's also an unschooler. And I was like, and I messaged her and I was like, I can understand people who hurt their children. <laughs> she was like, I can't do it. <laughs> I, you know, I have it in me. Like I, yes. I, I was like, you know, you know, whenever you're looking at them sometimes, and I've had those moments, Avital, where, especially when she was younger and she was having, you know, massive, you know, massive, strong emotions. And, you know, they were all coming out and I, you know, you know, whenever they're about, I don't know if you have girls, but around age five or six, they start to have these, you know, immature emotions where they just like scream and nothing makes sense. And they, you know, and, and 
that because you can't actually reason with them in any way. You can't change it. And I, um, my husband used to come in and go, what, what have you done to her? And I'd be like, I didn't do anything to her. It wasn't me. She just does this. You know, he's like, but you two, for some reason, you're always triggering each other. So yeah. I totally and utterly, totally and utterly have it. But I've just learned to either breathe deeply or remove myself or, you know, like I, I've honestly seen myself running outside the back door and running to the bottom of the garden just, just to get away from her for a minute or two because I know that if I don't, I actually, like I would never hurt her or, or spank her or whatever, but I'm having such, like I'm finding it so hard to hold on to what's going, the turbulence inside that I, that I, um, I you know, I, I find it really difficult. And so, yes, every day, you know, every day her indecisiveness drives me bananas. I'm really not a very patient person. <laughs> and it's like inside I'm dying. I always say to people, they're always like, my God, you know, people used to say to me all the time when they watched me parent and they used to say, God, I want to be like you. You are so patient. And I used to look at them and go, me? Patient? And they used to say, you are like, you're so patient. I used to say, I may look patient on the outside, but see inside I'm dying. I'm dying. And they're like, really? And I'm like, you have no idea. I'm dying on the inside here, like just holding all this in. And, uh, but I think that, the, you know, it's really just like, how I liken it to people is, you know, when I don't eat, I don't smoke, right? I don't, I don't eat, really eat junk food, but I do sometimes, but I don't smoke. And the reason why I don't smoke, I used to smoke when I was younger, but I don't smoke now because I, I know how bad smoking is for me. So even though sometimes if I'm sitting on, you know, on holiday or on vacation, and that's always whenever you, know, you get a whiff of cigarette smoke and you've got a beer, because I like to drink beer. So you're, you're sitting with a cold beer and you're outside and it's warm, you get a whiff of cigarette smoke and you think, oh, and I look at it sometimes my friend who smokes and I'd be like, oh, and I just want to take it off her and, and have a puff, but I don't because I know how bad it is for me. That's how I liken it. You know, it's like, I don't yell, I don't, allow my anger to transfer to my children because I know how bad it is for them. Does that make sense? And once you get that data, once you get that knowledge, and that just comes from watching, researching, informing yourself, because truly when you understand in your body how damaging something is, you won't choose it anymore. And, and But I still do, but I'm very honest with them. And I say, I'm feeling really, really angry right now. And, you know, and I, I really, you know, and, and and I will be honest with them about that. And I'll say, I really just need you to, to, to leave me. But I still have a thing about mess. I can't help it. I'm like, I, and I go in all the time and I go, oh my God, Maya, how much mess have you made? Like whenever her friend Emily comes around and, they, and I've cleaned the kitchen and it's nine o'clock at night and they've decided that they want to make slime. And I come in on my entire kitchen or they've done like the taste test and they videoed themselves. And they have every single condiment in the house out all over the table. And I'm like... I just start to cry. And I, and she's like, I'm sorry, mommy. I'm sorry. We'll tidy it up. And I'm like, I've programmed her to be worried about mess because I'm so busy. I can't be bothered with it. You know what I mean? I come in, I'm like, it's night. It's 10 o'clock. I want to go to bed because I'm up early in the morning to train and I don't want to have to tidy up your mess. So I sometimes berate myself for the fact that I just can't get over myself and I can't not comment. Does that make sense? You know, and I'm like, I hate, and I find myself going, oh my God, how much mess have you made? And then I'm like, Seriously, Kim, why can you not just not do this? Because she's exploring. She, you're homeschooling. She's not ma making mess in school. She's getting her hands dirty and learning about slime and learning about tasting things and learning about mixing colors and that water doesn't mix with oil. And these are all wonderful learning things. Why can't you just get over yourself? And I have this internal dialogue running in my head and I'm trying to stop myself from punishing her you know, for being you know, messy. And it's a constant battle. 
It's a constant battle between my heart and my head. And that's the honest to God's truth. My heart, you know, wants to be joyful and let her mix paint all over the kitchen at 11 o'clock at night. And my head's going, I'm going to kill her. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to kill her. You know, and I, and yeah. So that's, that's really what it's like to be me. Yes. Well, I can relate to that a million percent. <laughs> Swing you know, from side to side. Have you seen that triangle that goes around on Facebook sometimes where it says your sanity, a tidy home or happy children. And it says you have to pick two. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you know, but I, I, you know, my response to that from the outside and to myself is a lot of compassion, self-compassion and just the realization that you're both heart and head. And as parents, our needs matter too. And your need for a, a tidy home matters too. And I feel like that's also part of the learning experience. Okay. So we don't want to yell at them and we don't want to punish them. And we want to make a lot of space for messy exploration, but it's also legitimate that at 11 o'clock at night, we don't want condiments all over the Yeah, no, and I fully agree. And if I come in and I say, guys, this is not okay. This is not okay to do this at 11 o'clock at night. You've done it now and it's fine. But I, in future, this is not okay at 11 p.m. And she'll be like, okay, I'm sorry. And I'll say, so you'd need to promise me you're going to tidy this up or else I'll set rules. She'll say, mommy, can, you know, can Ava come around on Saturday? And I'll say, okay, Maya, I'm competing on Sunday. And, it, and Eben is also staying. So we already have a ch- an extra child t- staying. This would be two. I'm competing on Sunday. And I, so I need, and I, and you know, and Antoinette, we have a weekend housekeeper as well. So now they just totally hate me. Your, your viewers. <laughs> but I'm like, Antoinette's off this weekend. So I'm responsible for keeping the place organized. And so if Ava comes, my, my condition is that you guys keep the place tidy because they will look like a bomb has exploded in her room when one of her friends comes around because they trail everything out of their drawers to try them all on. And I said, you know, and she'll say, okay, and I'll say, so do you agree? Because I will uphold you to that. And she'll say, yes, I 100% agree. And she knows I will uphold her to it. Like I will not be like, oh, sure, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Just leave it. You know, whenever my children know that if they agree to something, I will hold them accountable to what they agreed to. And so they, they don't agree lightly to things because they know they will be held accountable. So that yeah. is true. I do. I get them to tidy up after themselves and, I, and they are. And I'll say, yes, you can take it into the other room. People will say, you know, um, my kids will say, can I take it into the other room? And we do. We, they can eat anywhere they want, right? In the house. But I'll say, yes, you can. But if you do, will you bring your bowl back? And they'll say, yes, I'll bring my bowl back. Or I'll say, can you make sure Buddy, the dog, doesn't get it or whatever, please? You know, and they'll say, okay. And they will bring it straight back if I ask them. So you know, it is about, you're right, you know, boundaries are important and we do have boundaries. Um, but we do try to, you know, but we don't have any rules around, you know, Antoinette, my weekend housekeeper, I was chatting to her recently and she said, oh, Penny can't wait for Easter so she can have chocolate for breakfast. And I said, she's never had chocolate for breakfast. And she went, no. And I went, why? And she said, well, because it's breakfast. You don't have chocolate at breakfast. I said, oh, poor deprived child. And I was, I was thinking, you know, if my kids want chocolate for breakfast, they can have chocolate for breakfast. I would never stop them, you know, but they don't. They choose healthy food 99.999% of the time. But sometimes they come down and they want to, you know, Jack said, oh, mommy, I love, just want to have that Oreos, you know, ice cream. He asked me, would I get him Oreos ice cream? So I did. And he said, oh, I really, really want to have some. And I said, why don't you have some now? And he went, okay, I think I will. And it was like 7.30 and he went and got it out of the tub and he, you know, and he had Oreo ice cream for breakfast. Like, so yeah. what, you know? So I think that, you know, you just need to get over yourself sometimes. <laughs> and also just the, the, the forbidden fruit of that makes it so much more exciting when it's forbidden. It just becomes... Ready. Here, I'm on a diet at the minute. I've been on a diet for six months because I'm training because I, I do bodybuilding shows and food was never so appealing. Like I am just cross most of the time and I'm only cross because I won't allow it. I'm not cross, but you know, I, I have really good days. And then when I'm hungry, I'm like, and, and I sometimes I think this must be what it's like for a child who 
wants, you know, who's hungry and who wants food and whose parents are saying, no, you must wait for dinner time or no, you can't have this or no, you can't have that or you can't eat, you know, a lot of sugar. And I think that when you deny things, you know, my kids have friends who come here. I'm thinking of, of one, one little boy who used to come years ago and because his mother was so strict with food, you see, whenever he came here, he left one day and I found seven empty packets of crisps. Do you call them chips? You know, um, seven empty packets like stuffed into like a Lego box because, you know, and he'd, you know, because he knows we have food freedom here. So he was just good, but then he wanted to hide them. And, you know, whereas, and, and every time he came, he just, he just kept eating and eating and eating and eating. And I would say, you can't possibly, he would say, can I have this? And can I have this? I'm like, yeah, sure, sweetheart, take whatever you want. And I was like, you can't possibly still be hungry. And then Kai said to me, no, mommy, it's because at home he's not allowed these things. So he tries to eat as much as he can when he's here because he knows when he goes back, you know, he's going back. And I thought, oh, you know, I just think you, when you restrict them like that, they, they never learn to self-regulate. And, and so I try not to place any restrictions on them at all. You know, they have complete freedom. But we, I do say to them now, the dinner's at 5 p.m., so can, can, can everyone agree, please, that there's no eating big snacks after three? Like I gathered them all one day. I was like, I'm paying for Gareth to come and cook us dinner. It's ridiculous if he cooks us dinner and no one's eating because they're hungry. So, you know, can everybody please agree no big snacks after three? And they were all, okay, mommy, no problem. And they all set timers on their phone. We're big one for timers. So I'm like, set timers on your iPad so you know when the timer goes off, no big snacks. Like, and they were like, well, what can we eat? I'm like, a piece of fruit is fine you know, or a packet of chips or, or something small. And, and they're like, okay, okay. And they agree, but it's, it's, they've all agreed. It's not like I slapped a rule on them. So we do have a lot of guidelines and boundaries, but it's ones that, you know, that make sense. You know, mommy has worked hard to pay for Gareth to cook food for us. If none of us eat it, it, it has a knock-on effect on everybody because then, you know, we're all getting food at nine o'clock at night and that's, you know, not conducive. So they, they know that I work for them. They work for me. We work together. It just works. A hundred percent. And that's such a good model of teamwork and of how, you know, we all have to take each other into account. A lot of people ask me that as well. Like what, so you don't have boundaries or how does that work? And I think it's just understanding that boundaries doesn't equate necessarily to obedience and adult driven rules that are just, you know, arbitrarily placed, right? It's a conversation. Um, and it's not always. And I think with younger children, with very young children, it can't be. I mean, you can't necessarily have a conversation with a baby. Often you have to make decisions. No, with them. No, no, no. And you can't even try. I always find but whenever my kids were really young and there was now we can have logical conversations, yes. but under the age of maybe six or five, you just had to divert them, just move them, you know? And I always used to say to moms, pick your battles because honestly, it's not, some battles just aren't worth having and, and pick your battles, but you have to just divert, 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 you know, oh, look at this thing over here, whipped it away, you know? They're like, oh, <laughs> and uh, you just have to pick your battles and yeah, you do. So, okay. I want to be mindful of your time, but I just have one last question that I have to ask you, which is, um, I, uh, you know, I, I know what it's like to be out there and you're exposed and your choices are exposed. And, um, I'm sure that you get exposed to a lot of criticism and judgment and bash, uh, bash, lack, lack, bashing, bash, yes. Or backlash. 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 Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to what word is that? Yeah. I get that all the time. Yeah. Right. Um, on your parenting choices, on your lifestyle choices, on you know the labels that people slap onto things. And I love that you are so grounded in who you are. You know who you are. You know what you stand for. You're comfortable being 100% honest and in integrity. Whether or not people relate to all the different points is not your interest. Um, 
was that a journey to get to that point? And if there's a mother or father listening to this saying, you know, I want to be brave or I want to make an alternative choice, or I would like to be more comfortable in my own skin as the person who I am. Um, but everybody around me says this, or everybody will think this, or what if it doesn't work or all of those things. What's, you know, kind of like, and, and maybe I'll piggyback off of that question just again, to be mindful of time. But if you were talking to a younger Kim, say 10 years ago, right, with the little children and the homeschooling and the hustling and the solopreneur and trying to build a business and it's failing and you are, I guess, I'm guessing you were much more overwhelmed than you are now, didn't have all the help, didn't have the multi-million dollar business, uh, had very young children at home. What's some words of advice that you could kind of send back to that to that stage, to your, to your former self? I think that um, one thing I've always remem- remembered someone saying is that, you know, people will stop giving you their opinion when you stop looking for it. And I, there, you know, with just in the, with regards to the first part of the question, I, the more you do things that are outside the box, the easier it gets. You know, the first time you start stepping away from the crowd, it's hard, you know, and you do start looking, you, you desperately want people's approval. And I found that, um, you know, whenever I, if I always felt in the beginning, I felt like I needed to, um, to justify it. And I needed to, to, to almost convince people that it was a, that it was a good idea, you know? And so people would say, I would say, oh yeah, well we, you know, we homeschool our kids or we do radical unschooling. And they would say, oh really? Well, what's you like, so you homeschool your kids or whatever. And they, and then I would have, and then I, I would have almost got into a fight with them to try and prove that I was right. And it was just because I was, I was not completely and utterly at ease with my own decision. I was still in the, I was still in the, um, still in the chaotic part of figuring it out. And I think that one of the, I, so I'll tell you a very quick story. I was listening to, um, what do you call that? Ted, the most watched Ted talk, Ken Robinson, Ken Robinson, Ken Robinson, but it wasn't that one. Why, why schools kill creativity. It was the, another Ted talk that he did. And he talked about it in, he said in it that, you know, he went once to watch, um, uh, or to see the Dalai Lama and the Dalai Lama was speaking and he, somebody asked him, you know, a really profound question about something to do with humanity or whatever. And he said, the Dalai Lama thought for a second, and then he, you know, and then he leant forward into the microphone and he said, and everyone was leaning forward, waiting for what he was going to say. And the Dalai Lama said, I don't know. And sat back and everyone was like, but how can you not know you're the Dalai Lama, you know? And, and Ken Robinson was like, it's okay to not know. And I remember hearing that and I remember thinking, oh my God, like it gave me so much freedom because I always felt like I had to have the answers. You know, like if someone asked me, oh, but what, you know, and people would say, well, what's going to happen to your kids whenever they're, you know, whenever they're at, at school age? And I would say, I don't know. I, I just got comfortable with not knowing. And I would say, I don't know. And they would say, well, what you, how can you not know? I'm like, well, I haven't got there yet. Like, I don't know. I'm just trying to get through today, to be honest. <laughs> And, and so, and there, or they would say, well, what's going to happen with whatever, or, you know, all this, all this training that you're doing, what's going to be the effect on your body? And I'll say, I don't know. And, and I got, you know, I got okay with not knowing. I got okay with just realizing that life is one great big experiment and it's okay to not know. And the problem is school teaches us that we must know the answer. And so we all grow up believing that when someone asks you a direct question, like the teacher does, Avital, what is the 
you know, capital of Germany? You must know the answer. And if you don't know the answer, somehow you're bad. So we always feel like we have to know the answers to everything. So people would ask me, you know, well, what about this? Or what about this? Or even now they would say, well, like, what, what's going to happen with, you know, whenever your kids reach university age? I don't know. <laughs> what are your kids going to be whenever they grow up? I don't know. I like, I just, I'm, I'm just totally okay. And it, and, and, and it really, it kind of stumps people. They go, oh, <laughs> you know, they expect you to, <laughs> yeah. like, is that allowed to not know? And so I think, you know, if to anyone wanting to embark on a, on a life in this way, get okay with it being one great big experiment and get okay with not knowing. I don't know the answers. Sometimes, you know, my kids will say, you know, they'll ask me a question or they'll, and I'll say, guys, you know what? I actually just need to think about this because I'm really not sure. Like they'll want to do something or they'll want to know it. And I'll say, I really, is it okay if like you give me a little time or, or Maya will be pushing me and pushing me and I'll say, Maya, if you're forcing me to give you an answer, it's going to be no, because I haven't had time to evaluate it. But if you let me, if you give me space to evaluate, like if she's like, but please, can I have a comment Saturday? Please, please, please. Can she come? Please. I swear we'll be, and I'm like, Maya, I, ha- I can't even think about Saturday. It's only Tuesday. And if, but if you give me space, like it can be something as simple as that, I'll evaluate it and then I'll give you my answer. And I think that, you know, saying, I think that's okay. Like, just to get okay with saying, I really don't know. And this is just a great big experiment. And people will say, I think you're crazy. And you'll say, yeah, I feel a little crazy sometimes, you know, and I don't feel like you have to have all the answers. And we always feel like we have to have all the answers and we have to know all of the answers in order to embark on a life of unschooling or radical unschooling or whatever, but just get okay with not knowing is the first one. And then I think that's probably what I would say, you know, the second part of your question that, you know, if I had to go back in 10 years or whatever, I always, like I was such a know-it-all when I was younger and I used to, you know, I felt like I needed to know it all. And I used to, you know, I used to, and I, I used to judge a lot. And, you know, I, I was, I was a big, you know, breastfeeding advocate, you know, and I still am, I still do believe that, you know, breast is best and whatever, but I would never judge anyone who chooses not to breastfeed. And truly from the heart, there is a part of me, I will be honest, that goes, Oh, you know, cause I remember my experiences of breastfeeding my children, but that doesn't mean that I'm, I think bad of the person in any way. Whereas before I would have been like, Oh yeah, she chose, you know, she's bottle feeding bad mother, you know, truly I would have like so judgmental. Whereas now, because I'm out in the public arena, I'm being judged every single day by people who know nothing about me, but they feel free to stand up and say, Oh, you shouldn't call yourself the sculpted vegan because you get Botox. You're not really a vegan. You're, I'm more, you're not, I'm more of a vegan than you're a vegan. Like, you know, there's different, you know, that's why I said the vegan police come out in full force Uh, and they never think to ask questions or to evaluate their own behavior. So I always say that people, you know, those who do not live in glass houses or people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And, or what is it? Let he without sin cast the first stone. But, um, so I think that, you know, I think that you, need to really ask questions, seek to understand before you judge. I teach that to my kids all the time. I say, whenever you're very quick to judge someone, I first would encourage you to ask a question. And cause you may find that whenever you understand a little better, there's a lovely quote. I, and it says, those who, um, those who judge will never understand. And those who understand will never judge. And so I always seek to understand people and not judge them. And anyone who judges you really just doesn't want to understand. And you just have to, you know, n- smile and nod and say, okay. You know, people ask me questions about unschooling all the time. And I know the immediately the ones who are genuinely interested versus the ones who want to judge you and the ones who want to judge me. I, I just, I, I don't even engage. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It works for us. Yeah. Yeah. And they say, well, what about university or what about, you know, exams? How are they going to get a job? And I say, yeah, I don't know. You're probably right. I'm not sure. Like they may work for themselves or like, I don't know, you know, and, and I just, I just, 
but I just let it fizzle out. I don't, I don't engage with them because they just want to get into a right wrong because they're fearful. So, um, don't judge and, um, and just be okay with not knowing, yeah. I guess would be the two pieces <laughs> of advice I would give. And what I love about that is also there's this illusion that had you gone the pathed way, like the paved way, had you sent your kids to mainstream school and punished and done all that stuff, then you would know as if then there was some answer at the end of it, right? Like when people say that to me and I say the exact same answers, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, or works for us or we'll see, or who knows, it's an experiment. I have the exact same approach. And, um, and it's just, I'm kind of laughing to myself because I'm like, do you know? <laughs> like, yeah. do you know what your kid's going to turn out? No one has guarantees. No. Like, that's ridiculous, right? There are no guarantees. We don't. But we like to believe that if we if we follow the beat, the path, the beaten yes. path, that you know that it's you know it's more likely at the end of it if they have qualifications that they're going to get a job. You know. But my my answer to that always is: Listen, I didn't find out what I wanted to do until I was thirty seven. And I honestly, I had no clue what I want to do until I was 37. I got a degree in business studies and I, there is not one single thing I remember or use from school that helped me to run my business. Everything that I have done, I have is, I am self-taught and my husband is self-taught in his business too. So we are two self-taught entrepreneurs. And so I have the data that, that this is truly the way to be successful. So I don't want to put my kids into a system that didn't serve me and certainly didn't serve my husband. Um, I would rather them, you know, explore and learn. And, and I've taught them, you know, they come to me all the time for questions and they say, what, you know, they ask a question about this or that. And I say, you know, why don't you just ask Google? So they know now that, you know, you can, my, my son's teaching himself piano from YouTube and he's like, it's amazing what he can play just from watching YouTube. And so I, we, we, we encourage them to become seekers, seekers of answers. You have a, you have a problem, go and seek out the answer, you know, don't look for someone to give you the answer, go and work it out for yourself. And, uh, and so that's, I think that that will serve them much better in the long term than understanding about, you know, the world wars or cumulus clouds or, you know, unless they want to be a meteorologist or a, yeah. or a historian. I've been reading a great book called The Brave Learner. And one of the things that she says there is that you can learn about anything through everything. Basically, mm-hmm. like any part, right? So if it's Minecraft obsession, you can learn about math and science and history and culture mm-hmm and business through Minecraft, or you can learn it through Barbies or whatever your obsession is. My son learned to read through Minecraft, read and write. There you go. Exactly. And I think that's a very common story. And apropos what you said about your husband, my husband's a doctor. He's, you know, he's a newer radiologist, which is about as qualified, you know, in the mainstream path as you can get. After traditional school, he had to resit all of his exams again in order to get into medical school. Even though he went through the traditional system, he wasn't driven or interested in it until he decided, I want to be a doctor. And then he anyway had to sit down and do it all again. And it just proves like if you're not driven and interested, maybe, maybe you retain that rote information, but it doesn't serve you until you have a purpose for the learning. So it's just so, it, it's a powerful message. And, and not how much better would the world be if all doctors were passionate about their subject rather than just they got good grades in school and they were smart, which is why most people become doctors and lawyers, not because, you know, they were, they are so passionate about the law or passionate about the heart or the kidneys or the liver, but because they were the smartest in their class. And so therefore the smartest become the doctors and the lawyers. I would rather see a a world full of joyful, happy, passionate people than, you know, I I think the world has enough doctors and lawyers, but I think that the world is missing a lot of, you know, joyful, happy people who are at cause, you know, with their choices. And I would rather my kids grow up to be one of those. 
I hear that a hundred percent. Kim, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for leading by example. Thank you for vulnerably sharing your life with others and being willing to take those arrows and to take that, you know, the judgment, the criticism, the backlash in your stride and shining your light just brighter and ever brighter. And thank you for being just, you know, I, I kind of see you as just a couple of few years ahead of me uh, on this parenting journey. Your kids are just, just that next stage than mine. Um, and in a similar kind of business field in a way, well, online business at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, it's very illuminating to have someone just shining their light so brightly and, and, and doing so in such a, in such a, you know, heart centered and open way. And yeah, I just, I feel like you're my bestie from far away. So thank you. Thank you. You This has been wonderful. I really appreciate the offer of, of the interview and, and I love, you know, talking about this stuff. So it's uh, something very close to my heart. So thank you so much for having me on. Brilliant. And we'll, we'll see each other online. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Kim Constable, the sculpted vegan who is an unschooling parent of four children and runs a multi-million dollar online business, but she didn't always. And I thought it was just so brilliant to hear the behind the scenes of how Kim had to go through this solopreneur phase hustling and how, you know, she had her own doubts and her own risks that she had to take and disagreements perhaps with people around her or even with her husband around these decisions and how she's overcome those and come to a place where she is so fully, you know, embodying the confidence of the type of life she wants to live and the type of parenting that she wants to offer her children. And, you know, what I love about Kim is just how in integrity she is, how honest she is about the ups, the downs, the complexities, and how she doesn't box herself into one specific box. As she mentioned, she would do, uh, you know, she doesn't vaccinate her children. but she does do Botox for herself. And if those things both make sense for her, then she's 100% confident about that. And that's kind of what I mean when I say there isn't one way you can agree or disagree, but ultimately we all have to make our own decisions, do our own research, come to our own conclusions, and then realize, just like the Dalai Lama, that we don't always know. And it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to not know how things are turning out. It's okay to not know if we're making the right choices. As long as we just try to be in integrity with ourselves and do the things that feel right to us and make sense within our own logic and within our own experience. Whilst Kim and I have some differences in our parenting styles, certainly in our fitness styles, hashtag goals perhaps, I have so much respect for my fellow parents and I have so much to learn from other mothers, especially when, you know, Kim has so much in common with me. She's vegan, she has four children, she's homeschooling, she's running an online business. So I just feel very honored and grateful that I can learn from her and from all of you. If this was helpful to you, if you gleaned something from this episode, I'd absolutely love it if you just share it on Instagram. Uh, You can tag at The Sculpted Vegan. You can tag at Parenting Junkie. If you want to shout us out, we would so appreciate that. Just screenshot yourself uh, or take a selfie so that we can see where you're listening to this episode. We'd really love to know. Both Kim and I are really looking forward to hearing your thoughts and your follow-up questions uh, over on the Instagram post at Parenting Junkie. Uh, you can ask us your questions and we'll be interacting there. 
Thanks for listening to the Parenting Junkie Show. If this was helpful for you, I would be so appreciative if you would subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Subscribing to the show means you'll get the bonus episodes that I only deliver here. And when you rate and review the show, it helps other parents find it. I'll be shouting out some of my favorite reviews in upcoming episodes and would love to spotlight you. And remember, keep on loving parenting and parenting from love. Namaste.